0: Would you stand in the presence of the reading of God's Word? A reminder, we're reading from the King James Version, since that would have been the translation available to our founders this morning out of Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. If you'd like to follow along, listen for the Word of the Lord. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth. And And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, and which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning. the sixth day this is the word of the Lord well we began this series talking about faith at the American founding last week we focused in on what was happening in the founders lives what the culture was like and particularly how they were understanding who God was and how God was at work in the world and how God was at work in history based on the Judeo-Christian metaphysic of a God who created and had created all of us and had a purpose in mind. And we talked about that these founders, as they were entering through this rebellion or this struggle for freedom or this fight for independence, began to identify things that were happening in their midst that they believed were only happening or at least happening by the aid of God Almighty. They begin to refer to them as signal interventions of the Lord or signal interventions of God. And I told you about this book that I've been reading, that I've been using, On Two Wings, where the author, Michael Novak, looks at how faith and reason played together. And as they were putting all of this together and seeing what was happening in their colonies and and trying to figure out what kind of rights and freedom they should have, that they really began to believe that God was on their side, that God wanted free people on the earth, not only because they wanted freedom, but because God is on the side of freedom and equality for all of humanity. They began to understand that this was one of God's purposes in the world. But as I was researching some of this, I also began to realize that this was a very rare phenomenon at that time. One fellow estimated that of the 750 million people in the world at the time, only 39 million were free in 1776. If you do the math, that's only about 5% of the whole global population, only 5% living free. In some places, slavery was so common that it was believed to be the natural order or the right order of things. In other places, not so much slavery, but the whole idea of hierarchy with the king at the top right under God and so different sets of rights for different groups of people based on where you were born. So, this is a rare event. This is an uncommon happening as they began to work on this and they're drawing certainly on the enlightenment on the ideas of reason and these charters that were being written and these compacts that were being written but our founders drew upon the text from genesis 1 that we just read moments ago i think you can hear echoes from this text in our founding documents listen again to what the founders would have been reading what they would have been thinking as they were people of faith. In verse 26, and God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle. And it goes on to name all those things. And then in verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And then on into 28, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Can you hear the echoes of we are created in a certain way where we have certain rights, that we're created with a kind of liberty or freedom? They drew on the roots of their faith to help them Discover and develop these ideas of declaring their independence. Do you know the name Benjamin Rush? He was the signer of the Declaration. Amazing to me, he was only 30 years old when he signed the Declaration of Independence. Such a young man, taking such a bold step. And yet he was accomplished in many ways already. He was a medical doctor. He was the only doctor to sign the declaration. He had studied at several universities here in the colonies. He had also gone back to England and Scotland and done further study. While there, he helped uh, recruit uh, President Witherspoon to come and be the president of Princeton. Also during his life, he established the first American Bible Society. He established the first free uh, medical clinic. He helped establish the roots of veterinary medicine. He was a groundbreaking physician in working with people who were mentally ill and trying to understand who they were and what their issues were and how, as a medical doctor, he might be able to help them. When he was writing, he mentioned that many of them felt like they were signing their own death warrants when they signed the declaration. I reminded you of that last week that even though from this side of things we think, oh, Declaration of Independence, isn't it great? We have freedom. But in the eyes of the king and all those loyal to him, it was an act of treason. They were do public hanging if they were found and caught and brought to justice from that side of things. Benjamin Rush was one of those people at 30 years of age, but I tell you of all that, not just because of who he was as a person, but also because he was a prolific writer He articulates this idea of who the founders were because he wrote so much about what they were thinking and what they were doing. I want you to read just a few of the quotes from his many writings. I think you'll hear this idea of faith and religion playing such an important role in their lives as they thought about what they were doing. He writes that the history of the creation of man and of the relation of our species to each other by birth, which is recorded in the Old Testament, is the best reputation that can be given to the divine right of kings and the strongest argument that can be used in favor of the original and natural equality of all mankind. You can certainly hear the religious basis on which he's basing his decisions. He goes on to say, a Christian cannot fail of being a Republican, small r. Not political party, but one who believes in a free republic. He says, a Christian, I say again, cannot fail of being a Republican, for every precept of the gospel inculcates those degrees of humility, self-denial, and brotherly kindness, which are directly opposed to the pride of monarchy. Or finally, this from Rush, on why his Christian faith led him in the direction to move to be a sign of the Declaration. He wrote, his religion teacheth him In all things to do to others what he would wish in like circumstances they should do to him sounds familiar but we don't always hear when we're studying American history how much a part of what our founders were doing was fueled by their faith and informed by this text that we read this morning and other like it talking about who God was and who we were as creatures of God created in his image they began to understand themselves differently in terms of who they were as, as people. And Rush represents that understanding of that we each have responsibility to use this freedom that God has given us to make good decisions, to promote liberty and freedom and justice for all. One of the books I read talks about the founders and this whole idea of faith. One of them said, Virtually all the signers of the Declaration and Constitution were church-going men. I don't remember learning that before. One list said 34 of them were Anglican, 13 Congregationalists, 6 Presbyterian, one each Quaker, Baptist, and Roman Catholic. All of these folks have this Christian background, have the Hebrew and Christian foundation out of which they're coming in terms of who they are as people and what they're thinking as they... Put these ideas together and have this idea that they have the right to rebel against the king and change the way things work, change the way governments operate, even at the chance that they might lose their lives. But I also want to help us understand that even though Methodists were not prevalent in the colonies in 1776, that our thinking as Methodists goes right along with this idea of faith and reason going together. This idea of faith and reason working together is much in evidence in the history of United Methodists. John Wesley, who we consider our founder, came to the colonies, came to the Georgian colony in the early 1700s. Born in 1703 as a young adult, came to Georgia, actually was a failure. He was an Anglican priest, came over here to be in ministry, got smitten with a young woman. She chose another fellow. He refused to serve her communion. Things went downhill from there for him. Somehow he lost credibility as a pastor. Imagine that. He got on a boat and went back to England. So he was loyal to the king, continued, though, to work and to ride and to lead the Methodist movement in England. But he was not in favor of the Declaration or of the Independence movement. So we got a little bit of a slow start. But after the war, after the Revolutionary War, he could see that there still needed to be uh, Christian work going on in the colonies, and he wanted the Methodists to be a part of that, so then he began to work toward that. Our founding conference, which is called the Christmas Conference, didn't happen until 1784. So we got a little bit of a slow start in terms of Methodists being a part of the American fabric, and yet we have become one of the most American of, of all the denominations, some writers think. But Wesley wrote about this whole idea of faith and reason in so many ways. From, from his work, We have what we call the Wesleyan quadrilateral. I've put that in your outline if you're not familiar with it. It's the fourfold framework of our faith. Out of Wesley's work, we say that there's certain sources and criteria of our faith, primary of which is Scripture, then tradition, then experience. And Wesley also added reason i put a quote in your outline from our Book of Discipline, which is our guidebook of faith and practice, the United Methodist Book of Discipline. It says there, Wesley believed that the living core of the Christian faith was revealed in Scripture, illumined by tradition, vivified in personal experience, and confirmed in reason. And as United Methodists, we encourage people to use those. You do not have to check your brain to come to worship or to come to Sunday school. We want you to think about your faith. In fact, John Wesley was such a believer in this, he was not only a clergyman and did pastoral duties, but he was also a professor at Oxford. He taught logic. He taught people how to think more clearly. He believed that our reasoning ability gave us not only the ability to read and understand Scripture, but to apply it to our lives. And so he wanted us to think about who we are and how we're conducting our lives and what God is wanting us to do and to read and study and meditate upon scriptures and put that all together so we had a cogent and a consistent and vital Christian witness. He very much believed reason was a part of our Christian life. We believe that faith and reason work together for good, just as many of the founders did. Now, faith brings a whole different set of things. We believe that God has revealed certain things to us in Scripture. And so it broadens our horizons. It broadens our perspective. It brings a transcendent reality to us, if you will. It gives us some guidance and some direction. It also gives us motivation. It it can help us stand strong in times of controversy. It can help us be bold in statements of faith in terms of what is the right thing for us to do or the right direction for us to go. So those two together, we believe, work together for good. It's head and heart. Or as Charles Wesley, John's brother, wrote, he was a great hymn writer. We've sung some of him. He wrote about the connection between knowledge and vital piety or what we might call devotion or committed faith. The Wesley brothers and the Methodists and now as United Methodists, we believe those things go together. We believe that we should use them and that brings us back around to where we began with this foundational text from Genesis Stating the belief that we are created by God with freedom and equality with the purpose to do good So I leave you with this I just challenge you to examine your own life and your pursuits and your career and your relationships and ask yourself Am I using my faith and reason to make good decisions to be sure that I'm a, a faithful Christian witness Am I using all the resources that God has made available to me so that I can serve God in the way that God wants me to, so that I can experience the abundant life that God has promised us through Jesus Christ? I leave you finally with the last question I've put on your outline. Just something to ponder this week. How am I using my God-given freedom? If you believe that God has created you and given you gifts to use in the world, that both faith and reason being gifts of God and talents have been given to you. Are you using those for God's purposes? Something to think about. Amen.